How you doing? Yeah, we're going to have fun. Hey, you may not be aware of this, but I want to make sure everyone is crystal clear on this. We are one church, multiple locations. So there's, there's people who are, you're here with me and some of you are with me online and, and some of you are at RCMU. Now, I need to tell you some things. So, so, so uh, you, you heard that we're going we're gonna to be a, doing Christmas Eve services, you know, this year we always do Christmas Eve, Eve, Christmas Eve, 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 whatever. We're doing Christmas services. We just call it Christmas services. Uh, What you may be wondering, I hope you're wondering, is are we doing that also at RCMU, the local prison in town? Yes, we are. We are going to have, they're going to be able to have a a Christmas service there. It's going to be awesome. But I need to tell you some additional information that you are not aware of. So you should be excited about that, okay? So, so you're not, no, no, you don't have to clap, no, but, but I just, most people are like, I don't know, I wanna know now, whatever it is. I wanna know what's something I don't know. So I'm gonna tell you something you don't know. Here's the deal. For almost a year now, not quite, but I believe almost a year now, we have had this location at RCMU, the Rapid City Minimum Unit. And, and we've been talking about another location that we're adding, a third location on the east side of town across from the fairgrounds. Most of you, you're like, I know, David, I know, I know, I know, and you're excited, but I need to tell you something that I've not told you before, and it's important. <clears throat> In the process of hearing what God wants us to do as a church, we believe anyone and everyone matters. <clears throat> God interrupted our schedule, and this is good. In 2016, we're hoping in the fall time of 2016, we're gonna go from one church of three locations at that time to one church five locations. So now, so what I have had uh, recently is a meeting with the sheriff, and that was on purpose, by the way. That was not because of something. I met with the sheriff, and I was able to meet with some of the coordinators, program directors, people that are involved in different avenues. And we made a request, and it's been pretty much granted, and we got to work out the details now of how this is going to play out. Don't ask me the details. I don't know them yet, but, but here's what you need to know. We're going to add two locations that you have not been aware of. One is going to be at the Pennington County Jail, and one of them is going to be a juvenile services center, the juvenile detention place here in Rapid City. Yeah. Now, you may wonder, like, why, why do we do this, David? Like, why do we put more locations in, in jails and in prisons and things like that? Well, we did it for now for one year. 
And in the past year, nine inmates have been saved, 18 have been baptized. Yeah. And so we're gonna keep doing it. Uh, and so I hope that you'll be a part of it. If you wanna know Christmas Eve, or Christmas Eve, Eve, or Eve, whatever, that thing that we're gonna have for Christmas Eve, we're gonna do an offering, and the money that is given on Christmas Eve, those services, we're gonna use it to fuel launching those locations in 2016. So you need to know, I told you we were gonna add one location in 2016. Apparently, I was not telling you the full truth. Now I know more. We're gonna add three locations, and so I hope you'll be a part of it. We're gonna need volunteers. We're gonna need people to give towards this, and so I hope when you know when you give to this church that you are helping literally prisoners Come to know who Jesus is. And if you need more momentum to understand this, the prisoners at RCMU have already begun to give their tithes and offerings. And they've now given $25 to help fuel other jails and prisons know who Jesus is. And they're owning it. I hope you and I will own it. It's going to be fun. But now you know information that everyone doesn't know, so you can use that however you want to. <clears throat> so it'd be fun. So, all right, we're going to talk about awkward family, and and you need to know how we view family, though. I got a disclaimer: we believe church is family, and so you're going to be a part of some things. You're like, wow, this is weird, and well, all families are weird, and sometimes it's special and awesome. Sometimes it's awkward, and so we're going to talk about family that you live with, but also church family. Specifically, this weekend, I want to talk to you about the intentional family. Now, some of you are probably saying, "Well, I don't have a family." Or, or you refuse to claim your family, wherever you are on that. Uh, I want you to know that no matter what the season of life looks like for you, whether you're married or whether you have kids or don't have kids, every one of us can have a how intentional am I being kind of a conversation. So if you don't like your family or refuse to acknowledge them or, or if your family's not who you want it to be or isn't as big as you'd like it to be, still be open and let your heart be open to talking about how intentional you and I are living. So let's start off though with a story. <clears throat> Katie and I just got back from uh, visiting some family. Uh, and and the, the part of that you need to know is we have three kids. So we took a trip with three kids, ranging two years old to 12 years old. That was fun. <clears throat> you start off loving your family and you love them the same at the end you just kind of need a break. So we took about uh, a whole week and went to a place called Marion, Indiana. Some of you will want to Google that, and it'll take you a while to find it. Marion, Indiana, a town of about 27,000 people, uh, was driven by the auto industry for years upon years, just where Cadillacs used to be. I don't know if they still are assembled there. And I grew up around the auto industry. If you drove a foreign car, you were not allowed to be anywhere. We kicked you out. And that's where I grew up around. So we went to visit Marion, Indiana to see my grandparents. The whole Canaan family gathered together. My Thanksgiving lunch entailed 35 people around multiple tables staring at each other, enjoying food and conversation. And it was awkward at times and fun and exciting and great. So we went to Marion. What you need to know about Marion, it's where I grew up, middle school through college. Most of you have never heard of the town, you've never been there, and you'll never go. That's where I grew up, though. That's my middle school years, high school years, where I started driving and then went to college. And so I have tons of memories there, tons and tons of memories. And if you ask me, like, well, cool, let's, let's look at them. I didn't have pictures. Because you are probably similar to me, that 
usually in the moments that you live, you're not one of those scrapbooking people that jumps out and takes pictures and grabs a hold of the moment and seizes every special moment that occurs. And so I lived that life and it was awesome. And then I've tried to tell my kids and my wife, hey, you shouldn't, I can't show you anything. So on this trip, I went picture crazy. So took my family back to Marion, my old stomping grounds, and showed them the most special places on earth. We'll start with Pizza King. <clears throat> yep. Now, I know some of you would say you want to show your kids like your first house, things like that. No, Pizza King is the best pizza on planet earth. Now, I can't show you pictures of the inside of the place because they break about 37 codes and I'd get in trouble. It's the most disgusting restaurant I've ever been in in my entire life. But the pizza is amazing. And so I wanted to go and let my family experience it. So I don't know if you pull up to Pizza Hut or Lentz Brothers, you probably take your phone out and take a picture. No? Well, I do now. We showed up. I stood outside and took a picture. Everyone driving by I was like, what are you doing? Went in and I ordered the pizza. Here's what I ordered. You need to know this. <clears throat> Barbecue pepperoni pizza. Yep, some of you just got nauseous. It's fine. My wife, when I first told her, when I told Katie about the barbecue pepperoni pizza, she's like, that's, that's so gross. You're gross. Don't ever bring that up again. Kind of, until she tasted it, and now she understands the ways. It's incredible pizza. And so I took a picture because it's a special place to me now. I know that seems weird and you can't believe it, but some of you have pictures of places that you'd never show other people and in the restaurants that you like and don't want to tell other people. Let me, let's, go more, let's go more to the heart. Let me show you a picture of Nelson Street Wesleyan Church. Now, Nelson Street Wesleyan Church is located on Nelson Street. Good job. <clears throat> Nelson Street Wesleyan Church is the first church that for some reason was willing to hire me. I don't know why they did it, but they did it. And while I was in college, I worked as a youth and children's pastor. The average age of the people at this church was about 75 so I had to go get the youth and the children from somewhere and brought them to church. And you think, oh, really? No, I did. We got vans and we brought them. And uh, that was my first job. And so I wanted to go show my kids and get pictures and have these memories of the first place that I was ever a pastor at. And so we drove around the building. I'm sure the neighbors thought we were going to break in. I thought about breaking in, but they can't do that at the church. And so I took pictures and pictures and pictures just because... You know, special to me, just like the first place you worked, or maybe you want to block that out of your mind, but I wanted my kids, and uh, frankly, I wanted to have it on my phone, a picture of the first place that I got to be a pastor at. And now, now, we got done with the trip, and we're on our way home, and I had a thought. In fact, it really resonated and was a bit of the, the birthplace of this message. I began to think about, like, that's kind of weird that I used to live in a place called Marion, Indiana for over 10 years, never took a stinking picture of anything. And I thought, well, why is it now special? Why does Pizza King matter to me now? Why does Nelson Street Wesleyan Church matter to me now? And God began to formulate a bit of a statement in my head that helps, I think, you and I when it comes to family. Let me show you this. Familiarity can take what is precious and make it appear common. Now, when I was living in Marion, Indiana, and would probably once a week go to Pizza King, I never thought to take a picture of the Pizza King sign. And frankly, I thought that probably the rest of my life I would have the opportunity to go to Pizza King whenever I wanted to, and then I moved. 
Nelson Street Wesleyan Church, sure, it was an awesome, I got the job, but I never got nostalgic and took pictures of it in the moment. It was so familiar to me. And a lot of times in the moment that we live in, it's so familiar, it makes it feel common. And you and I have to process this, especially when it comes to family. Have you perhaps let your family be too common to you? See, a lot of us will have tragic moments in our lives where, where we lose someone that we really love and then the common thing changes. So I wanna have this conversation with us as a church because I don't want you and I taking our families for granted is the conversation that maybe your grandparents brought up to you a long time ago. I want us to make sure that we're so intentional with our families, that we're engaging them at a level of great love and intentionality. I want us to be so aggressive at seizing the moments that we don't miss moments. And familiarity can often rob us of some things that we gotta be able to pay attention to. Max Lucado, he's a very popular author, wrote this. Before you know it, the little face that brought tears to your eyes. Now, if you're a guy or a girl, that, the, the tears came for different reasons, but before you know it, the little face that brought tears to your eyes in the delivery room has become common. A common kid sitting in the back seat of your van as you whiz down the fast lane of life. Unless something changes, Unless someone wakes you up, that common kid will become a stranger. And so we've got to engage in a dangerous conversation. Here's another saying I want you to own. It's the common things in our lives that we neglect the most. Now, I'm not saying neglect in the sense of abuse. I'm talking about the neglect relationships that go on in our lives where you say, uh, tomorrow we'll get to that, and then tomorrow turns into next week, and then next week turns into next month, next month turns into next summer, and it's the things that you wanna do with your kids or your spouse or your family, but you're gonna get to it eventually, hopefully one day, and we neglect the things that we think will be around all the time. And so that's why a family conversation, we need to talk about what perhaps are you neglecting? What have you thought is so common that it's always gonna be there? No one's ever gonna take it away. It's always gonna be there. And when, it's, when you're ready to engage it, you'll be able to engage it. Maybe not true. In fact, some of you hold pain right now in your hearts. And you know better than I know that life can go away that quick. And so if you're be open to it, no matter what season of life you're in, let's talk about being intentional. I wanna show you what the Bible says about this. In 1 Thessalonians, I had to practice Thessalonians a lot. So here we go, 1 Thessalonians. Get along among yourselves. You can go now, that's all we needed. <clears throat> now, now, I contextualize this. Now, a lot of times when you and I read the Bible, we think, oh, that's going to the global world, to all Christians and all people, and we don't feel it to be that practical. I want you to make this practical. If you're married, make this ref refer to your marriage. If you've got kids and a family, make it refer to your family. If you've got roommates, if you've got just friends at school, make it relate to that. You're allowed to make the Bible personal. Get along among yourselves. Each of you doing your part. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on, gently encourage the stragglers, and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Now, I want you to cue in on some words, because this is fun. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders, stragglers, and exhausted. I just described the worst part of your family and mine. If you think about it, if you've got a family 
Everyone at their worst grabs a hold of one of these. I've got three freeloaders right now in my house. They have yet to contribute to a mortgage payment. And they've caused several dollars of damage to the house. And so I've got, they're freeloading like crazy. <laughs> then, then stragglers. Some of you got stragglers. You're like, come on, clean this up. <laughs> Do your homework. Get a job. And then you get a job and you turn into the exhausted. I love how the Bible is so relevant, even though it was written so long ago. The Bible just describes at our worst, I'm not saying that it's at your best. At your worst, you've got freeloaders, stragglers, and exhausted, and some of you have adopted multiple ones at the same time. So I love how the Bible picks us apart and lets us see something. It lets us see something very profound that if you open up your Bibles and dig in, you'll see that results are a part of what the Bible teaches us, but you also learn something about yourself that perhaps your whole family is results-oriented. I mean, those are the results, right? If you're a freeloader or a straggler or exhausted, that's the result of something. And frankly, many of us have become incredibly result-oriented. Our family is not a family full of love. It's a family seeking results where you wake up and you talk to your kids and you engage your kids. You're like, hey, you gotta do this today and that today and make sure you get your spelling stuff and do this. And you're like, here's the results, the results. Are you ready for your band concert? Are you ready for your game? Do you have the stuff in your bag that you need? Go and do results, results, results. And some of you transfer this into your marriage. Hey, honey, did you pay the bills today? Did you clean? Did you get this and that? And did you go pick up that? Did you say this? Results oriented. Now, I'm not saying results are bad. Results are actually a necessary part of life. Every day there's results that you and I need to achieve. Here's the problem. Many of you have made your family completely results oriented. And if you make your family results oriented, your family will begin to either withhold the true results or they will feel like they have to achieve your love in some way. And in fact, you gotta know this is a very personal conversation I'm having with you. Some of you may not like this, what I'm about to share with you. You grew up maybe with a pastor who kind of withheld his personal life. But I wanna open up a little bit with you in a way that I think helps us all. You need to know that I'm very results-oriented. In fact, when I take the personality tests, guess what my title is? Results-oriented. When you're, when you're working, that's great. <laughs> when you're leading a family, it doesn't make friends. I'm very results-oriented. I love to get results. In fact, they become a bit of a, a source of fuel for me. During the day, I want to accomplish something. I don't care what it is. I just want to accomplish something. And, and I'm very competitive. Here's the problem. A lot of times, I project that results orientation onto my family. And so I'll, I'll expect my wife, Katie, to do A, B, and C during the day. And if she doesn't do it, I'm so frustrated and speak that out to her. And sometimes I even get worse the kids How'd you do on your spelling test? And their answer to that sometimes affects how I talk to them, how I treat them. And so what I want you to see is that if you're results-oriented, which I think a good portion of us are, that you might be jeopardizing the relationships in your life. As a pastor, I'm gonna confess this straight to you. There's days that I come into the office and I want results. 
I want more people serving, more people giving, more people showing up, more people doing this, and I push for results. And if I've ever done that to you, you wish I had pushed for more relationship with you. So I'm sorry for that, it's not good. But I think all of us at points are guilty of this, of pushing for the result rather than pushing for the relationship. And so I I want you to see a statement. Value the relationship more than the results. Do you do that? I, I hope that you do. But if you want a family that doesn't break down, if you, if you wanna be intentional, if you wanna have a family that thrives, you're gonna have to value that relationship more than the results. You're gonna have to value the relationship with your child more than you value if they achieve at sports. You're gonna have to value them more than their grades that they get. You're gonna have to value your spouse more than what they achieved during the day. And I know all of us were like, well, of course, but oftentimes that's not how it plays out in family. In family, usually we regather in the evenings and say, so what'd you do today? Literally, what are your results? Let's talk and converge. Some people will be punished, some people will be praised. And I'm not saying results are bad, but if results are more important than relationship, you're in a bad spot. And And you have the power to change that so let me show you, because there's a pace in this. I want, to, I want to do an illustration. So here's what it is. You have the speed of results, right? It's fast. Does anybody like fast cars, fast motorcycles? Raise your hand. Be proud of it. Yeah, now all the law enforcement, see all the hands up? Just wanted to point that out. So... <clears throat> Uh, Speed of results, it's fast. You wake up in the morning, some of you have a bullet point list ready to go. You've got some of it highlighted according to the hour of the day. You're weird and you've got this whole system to do the results you must achieve. A lot of us dads are going, what was I supposed to do today? And we're trying to remember through the whole day because we know we can't forget. We, We drive and drive and drive as fast as we can to achieve the most results that we can. That's the way results work. No boss will ever tell you, hey, yeah, do what you can as as much as you want, whenever you can, just whatever. Just do your thing. No, no, there's results and deadlines and that's how life works. And many of us have transferred the speed of results and put it into our family and it compromised your marriage and it divided you and removed the connection between you and your kids. So here's the speed that you need to pay attention to, the speed of relationships. It's slow. And especially for you type A people, you're like, okay, let's have a relationship. Come on, come on. You you gotta slow slow that down. You gotta be willing to slow this down in such a way that you give time to the relationship. I've told you this many times. Now, I'm as busy as you are, you're as busy as I am, but every single week I have devoted specific face to face, eye to eye time with each of my children. You can't ever take that away from me. I will tell you no before I tell them no. But I've gotta have that intentional face-to-face time where we're talking amongst ourselves and it's not about the speed of results. It's not about, hey, son, can I sit down with you and tell me all that you've accomplished? Oh, now I'm gonna help you accomplish more and that's the existence of the relationship. A lot of times it's gonna be like, hey, what have you been dreaming about? When was the last time you asked your kid their hopes and their dreams? When was the last time you had a conversation that didn't critique how well or how poorly they did something? How, when was the last time you did that with your spouse? Yeah, we'll keep moving. 
Now the Bible unfolds, the Bible unfolds for us to, how do, how do, David, how do we be intentional? Okay, okay, I want to value the relationship over the results. What does that look like? I'm glad you asked. First Thessalonians tells us, be patient with each person. See, some of you, I just lost you. You're done. See, I'm telling you, that the relationships that you have, they require work. If you want good relationships, you will be intentional. And so here we go. Be patient with each person. Attentive to individual needs. Wait, like not just my needs? No, individual needs. And be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, I love that it says, when you get on each other's nerves. See, I, I'm sometimes we'll meet with newlywed couples. They're like, we never get on each other's nerves. <laughs> Some of you are like, David, you just must not. I'm happily married. I married my best friend. She's the most amazing woman I've ever met. And she gets on my nerves. And I get on her nerves probably more. I love this. The Bible is so, so relevant. And when you get on each other's nerves, yell at each other. No, oh, you don't yell. When you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Oh. Look for the best in each other, and always do your best to bring it out. Have you been trying to bring out the best in your children, your spouse? For those of you who aren't a part of those kinds of families, even as you go to school and help other friends at school, are you trying to bring out the best in them? Oh, here's the kicker, be cheerful no matter what. That sounds like what we tell our kids, but we don't want to apply. Be cheerful no matter what. That's difficult to do, isn't it? Now let me, give you, let me give you a vehicle. A vehicle to take words like be patient. Be attentive to each other's needs. Don't get on each other's nerves. Don't snap at each other. Look out for the best. Where can that occur? Because some of you are like, I can't do that all day, David. I can't do that. I can't. Some of you are like, you've just decided already, I will never have a family ever. <laughs> let me help you lock this down into 30 minutes a day. I think that's a good first step, good next step. Let me give you context. Harvard did a study over eight years. They took eight years and studied tons of families. In fact, to be exact, multiple families, including the total of 65 kids across all this uh, region, and, and they studied them and studied them, and, and they, they studied what they did when they played. They studied what they did in the evenings, in the mornings. They studied their life at school. They studied the whole family system. After eight years, they gathered all of the information, compiled it, and looked at some of the major identifiers. Here's the question they processed everything through. What fosters healthy family development? So think about it. Do you want healthy family development? So according to Harvard, over across eight years, they studied and they discovered one key top factor that fosters healthy development. You know what it is? Dinner time. You're like, what? Dinner time. At a table. Looking at each other. Eating. And talking. You wanted more, didn't you? <laughs> you wanted something complicated and maybe a bit philosophical. But they, over eight years, they locked all this down. They said, okay, here's the number one factor that if you implement this into your home, you will help build a healthy family. And it was as simple as dinner together. 
Little house on the prairie style. Kind of like, let's sit across. Now, somebody like, we do dinner every night in the car. It's awesome. No, no, no. Not that kind of dinner together. Dinner at a table. Now, some of you are like, well, we can't do dinner because of work schedule or this or that. Then be creative. Maybe it's breakfast together. So some of you are going, wait a minute, wait a minute. My kids, are, they're, they're, they're out of the house. I, I want that, David. I, I want to have a healthy, healthy family, but, but they're already out. Is it too late? No, it's not too late. How about a weekly phone call? Same time, same day. And you just connect over the phone. You're like, but I can't, I can't call. We're not able to do that. Write a letter once a week. Correspond that way. Do not give up on your family. Figure it out. How you can regularly connect. And you take things like be patient with each other. If you're able to connect over a meal, I can give you some wisdom. This is what I learned and what we apply at our dinner table. We ask each other questions. It starts off with, what was the best part of your day? Usually everybody can come up with the best part. Right now at our table, it includes usually recess and or lunch. It's usually the best part of the day. And the worst part of the day is usually math. You'll have different conversations, but if I'm just telling you, you want to begin to have this conversation and create a healthy family development time, sit at dinner, have a meal, and ask each, other, ask each other questions. What I just summed up is this whole scripture verse. Be patient with each person at the dinner table. Attentive to individual needs at the dinner table. Be careful that when you get on each other's nerves at the dinner table, you don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other at the dinner table and always do your best to bring it out at the dinner table. Be cheerful no matter what at the dinner table. It's amazing how relevant the Bible is. You wanna have a healthy family? Be intentional. Apply this at school. Apply this in your family. Apply it in your marriage. But I'm not done. There's more. I'll close up here a little bit. First Thessalonians 5.17. Here's another thing to interject in your family. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. You're like, what? No matter, yeah, no matter what. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. So I made a second called a point. Not only do you need to value relationships over results, involve God in everything. You wanna have an intentional family? If you wanna know how to lead your family, it just... Lean on the relationships, value the relationships over the results, but also do not neglect God. Put God into everything, involve God in everything. And the way that verse started was pray together in essence. Now I just lost some of you. You're like, like pray out loud, like in front of people. Here's what you need to understand. If you're not brave enough to pray in front of your family, perhaps they don't know that they can pray to God in a way that you know to pray to God. Have you ever considered the idea that you are in your family to help teach the other people in your family how to talk to God? See, some of you right now think that when you talk to God, it's gotta be so eloquent and just full of poems and songs and all this weirdness talking about angelic whatever. And it's because no one modeled to you how to pray. And so some of your life, you've listened to pastors pray or someone who has this eloquent voice and great vocabulary begin to talk to God and you think, oh, that's what prayer is. I can't do that. 
the best example for your kids and for your spouse and for your friends to know how to pray is you. And you're gonna have to start the conversation. You're gonna have to be brave enough to start the conversation. Let me give you an example. This past January, so about a year ago now, I was in Florida for a conference. I know my life is rough, so rough. In January, I was willing to go to a conference in Orlando, Florida, and so I went, and, and Katie was with me, and it was a part of our denomination. We went there, and, and, and part of a conference, just like you have a, as a conference with a business, you, you network during the conference. You meet other people doing what you do, and, and so that's what happened, and, and a, a guy who, who's a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, had extended an invitation to me and a handful of others to sit at a table with him so that we could begin to learn from him. He was gonna be our coach. So I was excited, uh, one, to be coached by him, but two, it was a free meal. So this is sweet. And so we're in Florida, and we all gathered at this restaurant. We all met in the lobby. We didn't all know each other, so we're all kind of being cordial with each other, shaking hands and everything like that. And the hostess comes and says, hey, your table's ready. So we all go to sit down at the table, and there's two other people coming in behind us. Don't pay attention to them, but they also sit at their table. We hadn't met them yet, but they sat down at the middle of the table. I knew exactly who they were. You see, I've grown up reading books. I didn't used to enjoy them, but now I enjoy them. And I love to read leadership books. I just love to try to make myself better. And so I've been reading these books by a guy named John Maxwell. He sold over 19 million, 19 million books. And then I found myself at the dinner table thinking we were just gonna have a fun conversation. And now I'm sitting across from John and Margaret Maxwell, freaking out. Now, I have a bit of a bad history regarding celebrities. One time I was in a line at a movie theater buying tickets. I turn around and I notice right behind me is a guy by the name of Jalen Rose. Jalen Rose, professional basketball player. I turn around, I look at Jalen Rose. I say, hey, you're good. <laughs> and then I turned around again and didn't speak to him again. So I don't have a good track record with People that are well-known. So now I'm at the dinner table, sitting across from John Maxwell. I've read enough of his books and I know enough about John Maxwell that I know that one time he was gonna meet with John Wooden, one of the best coaches of all time. He spent two days in a hotel room preparing questions for the 30-minute lunch he would have with John Wooden. I'm freaking out, going, I got nothing to ask this man. I'm just gonna tell him how good he is. <laughs> I don't know how to talk to the leading leadership guru on the planet. And I'm losing my mind internally. Trying to think, maybe I'll ask my wife, Katie's smart, she'll have something to ask. And then my coach, Kevin, piped up and says, hey, I just wanna lead the conversation right now at the table, and I'm gonna give us a question, we're all gonna kinda go around and, and, and process this question just with, with John, and, and, and we'll just enjoy our time together. And I was like, oh, praise God that I don't have to come up with a question. And the whole conversation was great. We all went around, told our stories, and just had a great time with John Maxwell. And the turning point was when my coach taught us how to ask John Maxwell a question. What if that's your role in your family? You need to make God a part of everything? And you're wondering, who's gonna lead, who's gonna lead? 
Maybe it's you. See, some of you are going, well, my dad would never lead that conversation or, or my mom would never lead that conversation. I'm just a, I'm an eighth grader. What do I do? You can lead the conversation. I guarantee you that most families would be okay if the eighth grader pops up and said, hey, I know we're about to head out the door for school and everything. Can I pray? Most parents would say, whether they want to or not, sure. See, you want to involve God in everything in order to have a healthy family. And I'm trying to encourage you, start with prayer together. Every single night, my family prays together. Every one of us prays, including the two-year-old. A two-year-old's prayer, if you want to know what it sounds like, he prays for Woody and Buzz. I've told you that before. He prays for Toy Story, his best friend, Emma, and he prays for a lot of things that, well, frankly, a lot of it doesn't make sense, but he prays. You know what I'm trying to teach my two-year-old? That God should be a part of everything. And so Titus gets a time to pray when the family prays together. Relationships are more important than results. Some of you parents and spouses need to hear that. Every one of us needs to hear that God should be a part of everything. Start that conversation as soon as you can gather your family. Now, I know what kind of a group we are. We're fountain springers. And not all of us have ever had a conversation with God. You may have screamed out to him, but you've never had a specific conversation where, where you said, hey God, I want you to be a part of my life. I, I wanna turn my life over to you. I wanna follow your ways. I wanna own what you've done for me. And so before you go to your homes or wherever you go and, and you try to start this conversation about having God be a part of everything, maybe he's not a part of your life right now. So what I want us to do is I want us to close the service together asking have you intentionally asked God to be a part of your life? You do that first before you ask him to be a part of your whole family. So I want us to pray. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you've never asked God to be a part of your life, I want to help you. So no one's looking around. I'm going to give you a some words perhaps that will help you launch into the conversation. Just like my coach, Kevin, helped me know how to talk to John Maxwell, maybe you need some help knowing how to talk to God. Rule number one, say what's really on your heart because God already knows it. So let me help you. If you don't know what words to say and you're just kind of seeking out, you don't know what words to say, just pray this to God silently. God, I believe you are God. And I choose today to follow you. I'm gonna make you a part of everything. God, forgive me of all my sins and fill every corner of my life. I believe Jesus died for me and that covers all my sins. I believe he rose from the grave and I believe Jesus has saved me. I just hand over my life to you, God. I'm gonna make you be a part of everything I need your help. God, I love you. Thank you for letting me have a relationship with you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.